Welcome to Mormon Book Reviews, where an evangelical encounters the restoration. I'm your host, uh, Stephen Pinecker, and I want to welcome back on John Hamer of the Community of Christ. Welcome back, dude. Hey, thank you so much for having me back. These have been a wonderful series already, and I'm looking forward to this one. So this is very exciting. So what we, we had talked about, you know, we've done part one was 1820 to 1831, and then, and then part two was 1831 to 1844. So the period that we're going to be covering in this episode is from 1844 to April 6th, 1860. And we'll tell you why that date's <laughs> important uh, when we get to it. Um, so I also want to explain to the audience that this is not a super thorough, and uh, we're not, we don't even really have uh, like a any notes or a guide that we're following. We're just, him and I are just having an open-ended conversation about this period of time. So if not everything's covered, it's because that's just where the conversation went. This is not to meant to be uh, full, you know, authoritative or like the, the place to go for these, but this is just a good introduction to these eras within the first 40 years of the church that I think is very helpful to the audience. So John, Joseph Smith is martyred in June of 1844. Yes. and apparently he did not leave a very clear, distinct uh, person who was to take over for him. We also have a group of people that they have lost their prophet. They're a devastated people and a people that are soon to become homeless. So that's kind of sets up where we're at right after the martyrdom of the prophet. Let's kind of start there. Yeah, well, I mean, I think he did leave a very clear person who was supposed to succeed him, which mm -hmm. is Hiram Smith. Okay, yeah. Um, but the problem was, you know, you know, that Hiram Smith got killed, too, uh, at the same time. And so um, and so Hiram had a special position as being like um, not assistant president of the church, essentially vice president of the church. So he's in the in the first presidency. But he, um, you know, if Hiram had survived, almost certainly, I think everybody would have rallied behind him and he would have been uh, the clear successor. Um, um, Hiram died. And some people uh, thought that, well, maybe, you know, the next brother, Samuel, who was well-liked, uh, um, should take over. And so in other words, the same kind of people who, I mean, but, but Samuel didn't have the same kind of positions in, in the first place. So he wasn't like in the first presidency or anything like that. Uh, but, uh, but then he also um, died. So of, um, you know, of illness, you know, as he's like running back and forth between the, uh, Go, you know, between Carthage and back and so forth, he he catches cold or something and he doesn't really recover uh, is generally how it's understood that that happened. And so um, he sent the Smith brothers are, you know, are all knocked out at that point, except for William, who is back in the East, um, the least steady and least popular of all of the Smith brothers. He's an apostle, but um, not a popular one with lots of people. And he um, doesn't go back to Nauvoo. So he's continuing, like everybody, almost all the leaders at this point, are actually um, working on what was for Joseph Smith the absolute most important thing that could be happening at all in uh, you know the, the early part of 1844, which was running for president. <laughs> you know, and people don't uh, remember that because it's uh, it didn't go anywhere, right? But that's really what what um, that was the focus of his of what he was doing at that point. And and so most of the leaders were all out of town when when this happened, and they all of course be, make a beeline back as fast as they can. Um, um, Sidney Rigdon, so who's the last surviving member of the first presidency, uh, uh, has been um, uh, campaigning as the vice presidential candidate. And so uh, he has been establishing residency in Pennsylvania because of it, 
quirk in the US Constitution where they want to have the vice president and the president be from two different uh, uh, states. And so, um, and so anyway, he hightails it back to Nauvoo. Um, after, after Hiram, he's probably the next um, clearest successor because essentially he's, he's still part of the first presidency. Um, that the first presidency, in theory, I guess, is what who would be leading the church. And so, um, and is probably, it's been the natural successor probably since he came on board. He's been kind of one of the leading, leading figures in the church. Nevertheless, as we kind of talked about in um, uh, in the last lecture, uh, not lecture, but the last chat that we talked about, I would say lecture, uh, the last chat we talked about, he um, he got a little bit of scapegoated in, in the Missouri-Mormon War. So at the end of that, um, I don't think he did anything that was outside of what Joseph Smith wanted to do, but that doesn't stop you from getting scapegoated when things go bad. Uh, and then likewise, he has been part of the... Um, group of inner leaders who have rejected the idea of practicing polygamy. Uh, and Joseph Smith, for example, propositions his daughter who refuses him and Joseph Smith, and that kind of causes an interior rift, but it's a private rift. It's not like a, people overplay how big this rift is. Um, he's, he's the vice presidential candidate. You know what I mean? He's still in the first presidency. He's at this point, um, what's left with Hiram gone, he's the natural successor and, and potentially the legal successor. So at this point, the um, depends on how you look at this. So how does successor work? <laughs> so on the one hand, the, the church is a corporation, and it's a corporation that is is legally incorporated in the state of Illinois, and um, and uh, and Joseph Smith is acting as the trustee, as the as, and then it says and it to be continued by his successors in the first presidency. And so um, from a legal corporate standpoint, the successor here is probably Sidney Rigdon. Um, it's probably the best kind of claim. That isn't necessarily, though, um, the position uh, from the church, from a kind of a church standpoint, right? So we have, on the one hand, uh, civil law. Uh, it's a civil corporation and so forth. And then we have secular law. And then on the other hand, we would have canon law. And so we have to kind of look to what uh, uh, the, the church's, like, canonical, um, you know, canon law is. And the canon law of the church is the scriptures and specifically the Book of Doctrine and Covenants. And the Book of Doctrine and Covenants does not have a rules for succession, <laughs> so so, you're, so it's completely without it. So uh, a lot of times people might think if they grew up in the in the LDS Church that there's some kind of a constitutional provision that when when the president of the church dies, the first presidency is immediately dissolved and the senior most member of the Council of Twelve uh, succeeds. Nothing like that exists in there. There is no. Um, there isn't any uh, nothing written like that, and nor is there any sense that um, that the that council would have had anything like that kind of power. So, uh, the council at the time um, of the twelve is constituted as a traveling high council, uh, in the same way that there is a presiding high council that is in Nauvoo at the headquarters, and the traveling high council only has control over uh, and jurisdiction over the missionary field. So in other words, anywhere where there is an established stake of the church, um, the presiding high council, uh, which is at Nauvoo, uh, is, uh, has jurisdiction. And then the first presidency has jurisdiction over the two. And so in fact, they're just separate councils and there's no indicate, there's no reason to imagine that, that um, either one of the leaders of the high councils, William Marks or Brigham Young would succeed uh, at all. There's nothing indication. Um, the one operative verse 
in the Doctrine and Covenants uh, that um, that some people looked to is if uh, that gives it appoints Joseph Smith as the leader and says, um, and if he falls, he shall have no power save it be to appoint another in his stead. And so that verse has operated to uh, be understood that anybody who who Joseph Smith had appointed to be leader um, in his stead had a claim, and those would that would include um, David Whitmer, who had the unfortunate um, uh, liability of being not part of the church at that time, <laughs> and the other one being, of course, Joseph Smith III, who had the problem of being only eleven years old at the time. So. Hmm. Yes, yes. So interesting. Yeah, I just real quick, you were talking about William Smith, and it just dawned yes. on me. I think I read a biography about him probably about 15, 20 years ago. Do you know the name of that book? Because I I, I just dawned on me. I, I read a book about um, him. Do you remember one that's popular or well known? Yeah, well, so the there's I don't know if it's whole 15 years old. I mean, there's a fairly new biography. It may only be eight years old, or I mean, I can't imagine how old anyway. I don't know how old it may, I I can't remember. Um I I read the book. I I, I love the anyway. You're putting me on the spot. I can't remember the name of it. <laughs> so, <laughs> yeah. Anyway, William Smith. I, I, we'll we'll get it for the links. Yeah, the, yeah. The, we'll figure it out. I got to figure out which book I read. I fantastic. It's a fantastic book. Okay. Yeah. So really interesting is just so that's why I love to read the individual biographers biographies of these various people. Um, and like for instance, um, uh, I actually haven't read the biography about Sidney Rigdon, uh, the portrait of religious excess. I definitely. Oh man, that's yet. really that's an old one, but it is a really good one. Yeah, that's one I want to check out. So that's yeah. another one we could let our audience know about. And so what we have here is obviously uh, we have a situation with. Let's just talk about the stat status of the church at this point. So now we don't have a clear successor. We have these okay. potential people that would want to lay claim to the uh, mantle of the presidency or perhaps of the prophet. Um, what, is the, what is the reaction to the prophet's martyrdom in right in the few months after this all happens, like over this period of time? Like what does the first 90 to six, 90 days to six months look like in Nauvoo and how the, how the church is functioning at this point? Okay, before I go on, I'll remember, it's William B. Smith in the shadow of a prophet, Kyle Walker. Kyle Walker, great scholar, and there's an amazing book that he had. So that's the William B. Smith book. Thank <laughs> so you. So anyway, <laughs> um, in terms of like, yeah, what's going on? So um, things were really tense, right? So right before the martyrdom, everything was very tense. The um, governor has called out militias in order to try to keep the peace, but there's also um, the possibility that the different militias uh, will go rogue, you know, and so because they're more, maybe perhaps more partisan, so either more anti-Mormon or, in fact, in the Mormon case, more pro-Mormon than they are pro-Illinois in either case, and so uh, and so the governor is not sure that he can, you know, control any of them, and obviously he wasn't able to control the kind of the militia unit that went rogue and martyred Joseph Smith, um, and so but when that happened. Then, then he's like, "Oh, you guys, you guys screwed up. This is what um, this is what we thought. You know, you know what was going to happen in Missouri the last time this happened. And so now he he imagined that the Mormons and their militia were going to rampage and just come and march immediately to Carthage and burn Carthage down, um, the way that they had done with the uh, with Gallatin in uh, in Missouri and so forth. Uh, but that does not happen. So um, there is a um, you know, kind of cool heads prevail. They, the, the, I think the uh, Latter-day Saints were not imagining that Joseph Smith was going to get killed, and and so they're they're shocked. In a lot of cases, many have there have been some prophecies that 
Joseph Smith was going to live a long time. And, and so people think, didn't think that this was going to happen and they weren't ready for it and they aren't exactly sure what to do. And so I think that in, as opposed to, um, uh, what governor Ford thought with that, they, you know, they, they've stirred up a, a hornet's nest. In fact, um, by killing the queen bee or whatever, go ahead, kill, you know, they don't, they're, they're, it's left the hive with not exactly sure what to do. And so that and cooler heads, it kind of, um, it, it it's still tense, but nobody immediately is um, going to full out war or something like that. And so that at this point, then the um, kind of the question of the succession, you know, is, is rearing. And so I guess that that's kind of the, the core issue that's facing everybody. So this would have been a collective uh devastating thing to the church body um yes. maybe talk about just how how they reacted and, and and like just the despair they must have felt and then maybe talk about how the i guess at this point they're 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 left without a leader yeah they're shocked it's kind of like a ptsd thing almost going on and and now they i mean how what is a church service in july of 1844 look like yeah well so 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 on the one hand you know there's like in, intense amounts of mourning you know so the, as they're laying out uh joseph smith and, and hiram in you know in this funeral uh you know the number of people who come to pay their respects the line is just immense uh nevertheless the other the other issue though is is that they're they're still worried about uh anti-mormon vigilantes sneaking into town maybe stealing the bodies and things like that and so emma um and a few loyalists you know she has them kind of there's a sham place where they pretend they put the bodies and she hides them and so on to try to protect them um every there's just unending unease you know and so um on the one hand there's going to be grief and on the other hand um uh there's going to be some desire for vengeance too so maybe some of the church service you know it, this uh notion of us versus them is going to rear up again so this idea that um that whereas the, the world is now separated between uh the saints and the gentiles you know you know the borders are are really uh the boundary maintenance between the groups really grow up um you know there's uh, this when you know the songs like the praise to the man are are penned which uh, you know, talks about, you know, their blood staining Illinois and, uh, and, you know, and wanting to, you know, avenge, you know, and, and avenge the blood of the prophets, right? So. Okay, yeah, very interesting, yeah. Um, and W.W. Uh, Phelps wrote Praise to the Man, right? Uh, or was it Eliza? I'm, I'm presuming so, because he writes everything like yeah, that. Okay. And, but I've somehow reason I'm thinking, so anyway, I was thinking that I was thinking that John Taylor wrote something or other, but anyway, maybe it's W. W. Phelps again. He usually he's usually a good guest for good. him. <laughs> so, <laughs> so um, okay. So now we we have a situation where uh, a lot of people are not a lot of key people are not in Nauvoo when all this happens, right? So we're talking about Brigham Young and others that are not even in the country. That's right. right? Okay. So well, yeah. We have, they're in the country they're campaigning for oh that's right they're all campaigning i was thinking yeah. when they did the british mission Thank he's you. off in the he's off in the northeast somewhere right. and they got there pretty and they rush right back that's um right. some of the people are there so uh, so william marx is there he's the um he's the president of uh the stake and also the presiding high council uh and um very close friend of uh emma and he also you know, as he later had a, he's, he later recalled or later, you know, um, testified that, you know, he was also 
talking to Joseph at the end and that Joseph had said he was wanting to reverse course and get rid of polygamy because it was going to be the end of the church and so on. And so he's uh, certainly part of the anti uh, anti polygamy uh, faction and one of the kind of uh, leaders of that within within the church. And so Emma uh, very much wants William Marx to succeed and be in charge of the church. Um, but William Marx's position is, well, really, legally here, as kind of I said, you know, with Hiram's death, um, Sidney Rigdon is technically in charge. Nobody else has a claim here that's that's really worth anything. So certainly not um, William Marx or Brigham Young, who have pretty much the same claim. They don't actually have a claim. Um, and so uh, and that's that's William Marx's position, the practical position, but Emma's position that probably would have been a lot better for the church all around if uh, if they'd done that. William Marx would have been a... Um, a compromise. So if uh, if you were going to make peace with the people of Illinois, um, the the people of Illinois were were in the wrong. So by killing the you know the prophet, obviously when 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 um, uh, the Gentiles anyway, when non Mormons you know attack Mormons in a lot and do do bad things, then people get sympathy for the Mormons again. When the Mormons overreach, then they then the people get sympathy or you know they're opposed to them. Um, and so having suffered this loss it might've been a time you could make a compromise, but that compromise was gonna to have to be stop doing illegal behavior. So in other words, you have to, we have to root out polygamy. We're not gonna do that anymore. And we have to, for example, um, stop this uh, uh, unconstitutional interpretation of the habeas corpus law, uh, this property stealing and, and, and in lawless uh, you know, behavior. And so if, the, if the, those two things, if they'd compromised on that and they could have done that if they had put um, a leader like William Marks in place, they might've just been able to stay in Nauvoo. Um, instead, uh, that's not what happened. They put the kind of the head of the, of the illegal, <laughs> just illegal, uh, secret illegal enforcers or whatever in charge instead. And that, that, that sealed the fate of the whole thing. So. And then Cindy, Sydney, um, he's in Pittsburgh area at the time, right? So he makes it back before Brigham Young, but just barely. And so he um, uh, pens a, a kind of a, a, a revelatory statement, you know, which is sort of like uh, saying, well, we don't have a, you know, the, you know, nobody can fill Joseph's shoes, but, um, but I, and, and maybe, maybe we all know that Joseph the third is eventually going to be the successor, but in the meantime, um, Sidney Rigdon should be made guardian over the church. Uh, and then, uh, and then when he get, schedules to speak for that, um, Brigham Young makes it back to Davu the day of, and so is able to actually, uh, get, get scheduled for a counter, uh, proposal. Brigham Young's counter proposal is there can't be a successor. Um, we, you know, we, uh, how, you know, how we're mourning over this prophet here. Do you want to have replaced that prophet with Sidney, with Sidney Rigdon? You know what? Instead, so his proposal is you no longer have a prophet. We no longer have a first presidency. We, you, but we have apostles and the apostles can lead. And so his proposal is that the church um, vote to make the Council of 12 Apostles the acting first presidency. And so, um, and so that's what ends up happening. So um, his speech is a lot better than Sidney Rigdon's speech. And in fact, um, there's a rebut time for a rebuttal. The guy who Sidney Rigdon, Sidney Rigdon's tired, um, the guy who he uh, appoints to make his rebuttal actually sides with Brigham Young. Uh, so he, he, he miffs it. So uh, within a couple of weeks, um, I mean, well, within a day, you know, uh, the, as the, after the 12 are, 
are made the first presidency, Brigham Young now starts acting as acting church president, even, you know, uh, because he's president of the 12. And within a, not too long, Sidney Rigdon's um, is threatened and has to flee the flee the state. He moves back to Pittsburgh. So before we, because um, I want to maybe talk a little bit about Sydney and of course the church that would rise out of the ashes. Um, yeah, yeah. Pennsylvania. But let's talk about another individual who makes a claim based in Wisconsin that says that they actually, Michigan, um, they actually had, no, it was Wisconsin. Where are you, Wisconsin? And he's in Wisconsin. At this point, he's in Wisconsin. That's he's, he's in Wisconsin. Yeah. And we had yeah. this gentleman, um, Strang, this guy named yes. Strang. And he yes. says that he's got a letter of appointment signed in Joseph's name that points him as the successor. Let's talk a yes. little bit about him. Well, I mentioned before about um, how the constitute the church's constitution, the canon law, you know, doesn't have a um, a mechanism for succession except for that cult, that phrase which says, you know, if he falls, he shall have no power save it be to appoint another in his stead. And so um, James Strang makes a claim that he has a letter of appointment and that that fulfills that canon law um, idea. Uh, he also claims that at the moment um, that Joseph was martyred, an angel appeared to him and and ordained him to be uh, president of the high priesthood. So so he um, has all of the powers and offices of prophets, here, revelator, and translator that Joseph Smith had upon his martyrdom, and so those become the bases uh, for for a very unique claim. So it's a unique in the sense that. Um, that James Strang is not a Nauvoo insider. He has been a member of the church. He was baptized uh, and ordained, I think, an elder by Joseph Smith and, and so on, but he is not a, um, maybe a high priest, but anyway, he's not a, uh, um, a central member of the Nauvoo elite. He is part of a, a branch that is in um, Burlington, Wisconsin, and, uh, and so not, you know, anyway, not in the center of, of the whole thing. But uh, after, after a while, um, he actually draws a, a very large following to him. Um, and he, after two or three years, anyway, after two years, he emerges as, as the primary um, uh, rival to Brigham Young. So anybody who isn't um, on following Brigham Young um, are largely have pulled over to James Strang's standard. Um, and one of the reasons is that he, um, he really, of all of the potential successors that uh, emerge anyway in the first few years, um, he's the one who most resembles Joseph Smith um, in the sense that he is actually a prophet. Brigham Young specifically at this time is not claiming to be a prophet. I mean, he, his, his, his pitch to the people in Nauvoo is you don't have a prophet anymore, but you have apostles to leave you. Uh, it's years later that he um, reorganizes his faction of the church and creates a new first presidency. Um, but he is not, you know, that before until that time period in the interim, there is no prophet and there is um, and and there is no real first presidency. The church the council of twelve is acting as a first presidency, and so Strang exploits that um, in a couple of ways by by saying, on the one hand, legally, Joseph Smith, the corporation says my successors in the first presidency, there's no first presidency uh, for in, in Brigham Young's faction, um, whereas Strang's church has a first presidency, so therefore legally they, you know, they, they're the church and they were making that argument. They were trying to, to legally take control of the property of the church in Illinois and also in, in Ohio to take control of both temples, the Nauvoo Temple and the Kirtland Temple, for example. 
Um, and then he also, um, you know, made that same kind of claim in terms of on people's, uh, uh, you know, hearts and minds in terms of, you know, you, there's a hymn in the Nauvoo hymnal, the church without a prophet is not a church for me, <laughs> you know, and the, uh, the Strangite Mormon missionaries would sing that, you know, as they're, as they're proselyting, you know, as the people are, uh, the Brighamites are, are making their way across Iowa and so forth. Um, he also, uh, announces that there are new plates, there are new witnesses to the new plates. <clears throat> there's a new prophet who can translate those. Uh, there's new revelation. So in other words, all of the things that, uh, that you signed up for the first 14 years of the restoration, those are still happening uh, in Strang's uh, part of the movement and they're not happening in the other part, in the other um, factions. Now, this is what's so interesting too, is that there are a number of very prominent names within Mormonism that at, at some point, uh, whether it's for a short time or, or uh, that actually he has quite a following amongst pretty prominent people that even make yeah. their way up to Wisconsin. Maybe talk about some of the people that followed him for a while. Yeah, well, so at different times, different people um, who listen to Strang's claims, they, they get his, Strang, um, one of the ways that you, you connect with um, all of the members in all the branches that are spread all across the Midwest and Northeast of the U.S. is through newspapers. And so while, um, while Brigham Young and the Twelve are in Nauvoo, they are in charge of the old headquarters apparatus. And so they are in charge of the times and seasons and they're sending that kind of thing out. Strang gets his own newspaper going, uh, the Vori Herald, the Gospel Herald. And, and the initial volley is really impressive to a lot of people. Uh, you know, so he's got um, the letter of appointment. He's got the um, the new the new plates, the new translation. He's got the uh, you know all of the different you know angelic appointment and everything like that. And so when everybody's reading those, when they get that first newspaper, they're like, okay, I'm really buying into this. And so, for example, even even David Whitmer. So I mentioned David Whitmer as a potential claimant because he has been he's one of the few people who has been um, said. Uh, Joseph Smith put his hands on his head and said, if I you know fall, you know you you'll be my successor. Um, uh, David Whitmer, that though, you know, right, decides that Strang is the guy. <laughs> so in other words, the the the, the circular um, at least appeals to the Whitmers, uh, John Whitmer and John E. Page, who is again one of the witnesses, of, a brother-in-law of the Whitmers, off in Missouri. They they kind of subscribe their names to be part of the Strangite movement, although they just stay in Missouri. But anyway, they're um, they they read read that and like it. Same thing, William Smith. So. After William comes back from the east, he goes to Nauvoo. He um, he wants to be he wants he doesn't make a claim initially to be president of the church, but he wants the um, the Smith family lineage role of the presiding patriarch of the church. Um, that had been originally Joseph Smith Seniors, and then it became passed by lineal descent to Hiram. And so now William asserts that as the oldest surviving Smith, he should be presiding patriarch of the church. Um, and so, but because Brigham Young doesn't trust him <laughs> and they're all very concerned about William's potential for power because none of them, um, you know, there's no particular reason why any of them, you know, they're just the 12. William is also one of the 12. And now he's also gonna be patriarch, presiding patriarch of the church, a role that Joseph Smith, because it was his dad, um, gave all kinds of very glorious uh, uh, emphasis to. So it's the highest role position in the whole church and so on. Well, for William, he wants to make it that way, you know. So and so his his idea is that he is patriarch over the whole church, 
Whereas um, Brigham Young and insists, no, you were a patriarch to the church, you know, and it's, and it was really patriarch of the church, you know, but you can see how they're each pressing that. Anyway, so it doesn't take very long that, um, that William gets kicked out of Brigham Young's church. And so then he joins with Strang for a while. And so Strang is like, sure, you patriarch over the church, <laughs> you know, and so he gets Wings William in. And so William also speaks for um, um, people in the Smith family outside, except for Emma. And so, and so he subscribes um, his mother's name uh, and so on to be one of the supporters of Strang. He writes Emma's name, I think, but anyway, Emma's not a supporter of Strang. Um, but, but the other Smith, Smith family uh, women are, uh, would have helped William Smith. Um, the Whitmers, like I say, um, uh, William uh, Marks, who we mentioned. So after, um, after a while, William Marks, um, you know, this is this this is later. So the Strangite movement goes on for a while. So at a certain point, William Marks is um, is part of Strang's movement, and to think is an apostle, or either an apostle or in the first presidency of for Strang. Um, uh, John C. Bennett, <laughs> you know, of all people, makes his way back to uh, Strang from uh, having you know having uh, been kicked out of Joseph Smith's first presidency, gone on this two year long um, anti Joseph Smith. Uh, polygamy expose lecture tour where he made all this money and all that kind of thing kind of kind of retired from that for a while now he's got he wants to get back in he he writes to strang and and uh, gets his position back in the first presidency of, of strang's movement for a while uh, uh other people uh, uh, george j adams who was a compatriot of william smith um george miller who has been one of the one of the presiding bishops of the church um eventually joins up the uh William McClellan, um, you know, is interested for a while, you know, Johnny Page, you know, anyway, there's, there's a bunch of these, um, bunch of leaders, but they don't all stay with Strang mostly for too long. So um, an exception is George J. Adams, but, and George Miller, but most, most of the people, um, anyway, are eventually break with him. So the Whitmers, um, John Whitmer, who's the historian of the church who wrote his name I'm sorry, who was keeping the record of the church that, um, uh, by revelation from the very beginning of the church, he duly wrote into like that book, and that came to pass there arose a new prophet over the church and James saying and so on, he crosses that out, you know, and so, and so they, they changed their mind and they later, and they later organized their own Whitmerite church and so on. William McClellan also um, is part of the Whitmerite church and then he has his own church and so on. So different people want to do other things. William Smith gets kicked out of James Strang church, ironically for originally because he's secretly practicing polygamy. Strang at first is an anti-polygamist. Uh, and so the William Smith, Smith goes off and has his own church. So it's a lot of different um, interesting leaders, but they don't all stay with Strang. And let's just briefly talk about the actual, so he finds plates, he finds scripture um, and, yeah. and, and purports to translate it. Maybe just talk a little bit about the, the scripture that he produced. Yeah, there's two sets of, of plates for uh, James Strang. The, very, the first one are called the Vori plates. Uh, and the Vori plates, um, unlike the golden plates, and I also think the, the brass plates, which are the later Strangite plates, although I don't know. It, 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 it's possible, I don't know the, the details exactly because I found, find the accounts on the brass plates to be um, uh, less written out and everything like that. But we have the best accounts of all of these of the Vori plates. The Vori plates are an actual physical artifact. So there is no doubt that this is a, um, a little tiny um, series of 
uh, tin or whatever um, metal plates that have curious writing on them on both sides and a little um, drawing on one of the sides of one of them as well. And they, um, and when James, they, uh, they're actually found buried by a bunch of witnesses um, who Strang tells them where to dig and so on. And they bring digs up. And then they're seen by hundreds more people, you know, people who, you know, we have, we know that there, this exists as an artifact, right? So this is not something like people are hefting it in a box and maybe somebody saw it or maybe they didn't or whatever. This is an artifact. And they were, they actually continued to exist after Strang's death for a while, but they've been lost. Um, uh, but, <clears throat> but Strang, um, in, uh, Strang translates them and his translation pretty much says that, um, uh, the, there had been an ancient people, like a, a Lamanite-like people or Nephite-like people that had lived in Burlington, Wisconsin, in a place called Vorito, and this plain of Vori, and this is going to be the place where a new prophet was going to emerge. It, it is essentially um, a prediction of Strang uh, coming forth, and so that was very convincing to a lot of people. Um, even without, uh, at the time, uh, the, the Strang, uh, the, the Vori plates are actually way more cool than anybody at the time knew. <laughs> so so um, I've subsequently done a lot of work on the decipherment of the, the Vori plates. And the um, it's actually written in a, um, uh, a non-English, although very English-like uh, um, alphabet. Um, that is where that has actual um you know that ha where it has actual characters they're not just squiggles that, that are, are being these are characters that actually have meaning um and the, and the meaning can be illustrated because it lines up with strang's translation and it's actually written um it's not left to right or right to left it's actually boustrophed on so it goes left to right right to left left to right right to left which is a um a, one of the very earliest in forms of writing as uh, somebody would have to be a classicist to be aware in the 19th century, which you certainly could be. But anyway, it's it's impressive uh, that somebody was aware of that. <laughs> so anyway, so they're a much more, in my opinion, impressive artifact than the um, the characters document for the Book of Mormon and the and the and the gold plate witnesses and so forth. Um, so uh, so that's impressive to people. Um, and then later, um, Strang uh, says that he has the brass plates which are a, um, a set of plates that are mentioned in the Book of Mormon. So it's a major plot point that Nephi has to go and get the brass plates and he kills Laban in order to get them and so forth. Uh, because the whole idea of the Book of Mormon is if you don't have scripture as a people, you are going to fall into unbelief and, uh, and, and lose your civilization and so forth. But if you have scripture, um, you can be a good Christian people and so forth. And so, um, and so the the idea of the um, the brass plates is that they are uh, that they are the Old Testament. Um, but what's clear from the Book of Mormon is that initially that in the Book of Mormon peoples, Joseph Smith isn't isn't particularly aware of you know the the substantial differences between Old Testament peoples and Christians. And so the Nephites, you know, way before Christ, are all really Christian, right? And so and so actually, uh, when Strang translates the the brass plates. It turns out that um, you know that the that the restored Decalogue, the restored Ten Commandments, as they as they really originally were, um, includes um, uh, includes the Golden Rule, 
right? So in other words, so the idea of the Christ-like teachings of the Old Testament are lost because of all of these translation errors. But now that Strang has restored um, the actual uh, brass plates that, that Nephi went back for, um, he creates then this new book of scripture for the Strangites, uh, the book of the law of the Lord. And so it's a very impressive um, and very Mormon addition to a Mormon canon. Um, it is, uh, in my, my view, it's, it's, a, it's a very clear illustration. When you see the Strangites and when you, and when you go to the Strangite church and you, and you read the book of the law of the Lord with them in their Sunday school class and so on, um, you realize this is a people who have had two prophets. Whereas if you go to the Mormon church in Utah, there's a people who have only had one prophet and they only still considering Joseph Smith. They've had all these successors, you know, these, um, uh, these apostles who call themselves prophets, seers, and revelators, but they have never done anything, you know, like Joseph Smith. Uh, Strang Strang did something exactly equivalent to and equal to Joseph Smith. And it's very impressive because it completely synthesizes Mormon stuff that went before it and actually fixes a bunch of um, of Joseph Smith's stuff that was left as a problem, in my opinion. Um, so, for example, it fixes um, uh, it fixes the polytheism problem that exists in turtle progression Brighamite Mormonism. Um, Strangites are are, are um, adoptionists instead, and so it, it's back to having God, but it doesn't. But we can all become gods, like Christ is a god, because we're. Um, uh, on the model of becoming a, a different kind of God than the one God, right? In other words, it's a, it's a lower kind of God than the omnipotent one, right? So, and so, and so that's, um, as opposed to reducing God, so there is no God, like, like it exists in the Brighamite understanding, right? Uh, and so, uh, no real God, not one God, in other words, little gods, yes. But uh, so, so anyway, he does all kinds of things like that. It's amazing. <laughs> so he's a smart guy. <laughs> I, that's why he's impressive. That's why a lot of people follow him. So yeah, yeah. No, I I think he's an it's an under another undertold story. Um, you know, I was I was talking to some a scholar the other day, and we just talked about how you could make the argument that Strang was the true successor because he literally followed the exact same pattern that Joseph did. Um, yeah. He gets elected to office. He doesn't just run for office. He gets elected. That's um, right. Yeah. You know, um, he he. Uh, gets crowned king, uh, he creates a, a, a kind of like a mini empire, you know, he's a city builder, yeah. if you will, or community builder, um, and he ends up getting martyred. So there's like yeah. so many parallels that if one, one wanted to say like, who was the true successor to Joseph? You could say yes. that just, he followed the exact same pattern. And trust me, he didn't plan on getting martyred, but <laughs> <No>. <laughs> so it, it's just fascinating to see the parallels between Joseph and, and, and James Strang. Yeah, 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 very interesting. He was a, like you say, um, they were able to create, um, you know, they, they sometimes called Nauvoo Kingdom on the Mississippi, right? So there is a, uh, and, and Joseph Smith did organize a secret kingdom and was secretly crowned king of the kingdom of God on earth and so forth. Um, and so, but Strang was very much more open about all that stuff. You know, he was openly living in polygamy. He's openly um, ground king of the king of Beaver Island, which is the biggest island in the Great Lakes or in, in Lake Michigan anyway. And uh, and the, in part of Michigan, he's elected to the Michigan legislature. And at, at a certain point, he's the most senior member of the Michigan legislature and is very respected. Um, and uh, he's, uh, even though he's, you know, also committing a crime according to Michigan, you know, in terms of the, in the polygamy and so forth. Uh, but he's, he's, he's got a very interesting, like you say, um, very Mormon, 
uh, career. And if he hadn't gotten martyred and if his people hadn't, the Strangites hadn't suffered, um, uh, if they hadn't suffered the kind of expulsion at the same time as the martyrdom. So, you know, it's like if, if Joseph Smith had gotten killed at the far, in far west and the whole succession crisis happened while everybody's a refugee in Illinois, the whole thing might have atomized because um, there's they don't have a center anymore and everybody would have just gone their own ways maybe and made it, done what they can. The, um, the anti-Mormons in, in Michigan, they actually... Um, take everybody up the entire island. They, uh, they forcibly um, uh, depopulate the whole island. They put everybody onto um, paddle, you know, the steamships, the, and um, they separate them all from their property. So they steal all their stuff. And then they take them and they drop them off in tiny groups all around the entire shore of Lake Michigan, which is a, which is a big lake. <laughs> so anyway, it's a great lake, you know, and so and so for those folks, it was it was impossible to regather almost, you know, and they also had the liability that um, the strang makes it very clear, or God made it very clear in the book of the law of the Lord, that that apostles do not have any, any right to succeed. So so they're so if they and if they do, they're, they're apostates as as happened to Strang's predecessor when apostles overstepped and did this thing, which, which clearly they were not allowed to do and they were not authorized to do. So the Strangite uh, idea on that is if you ran out of, if suddenly if your congregation um, ran out of elders, a priest, you're, and you still have a priest and a deacon and a teacher, the priest can't ordain somebody to be a new elder because the lesser can't ordain somebody to a higher office. It is impossible for an apostle to ordain somebody to the first presidency and so forth. And so that's, um, that's the strangite argument. Well, when the that problem with that is when the prophets killed and he didn't appoint anybody to be a successor, uh, which he refused to do, um, that then unfortunately that left them without a successor. And so they had apostles still, the apostles kind of helped out in writing. Uh, one of the lead apostles, strangite also indicated that he thought that Joseph III would eventually be the successor or would be uh, his successor, you know, um, Strang's successor maybe, although, you know, he was hopeful that, you know, he, Joseph would join his church. Joseph III is not going to join any of the polygamy churches, so that wasn't going to happen. But anyway, he'd said it at different times. And so one of the leading apostles uh, in the Strangite movement, um, uh, Hickey, um, says that he says that he's had a vision that that Joseph III is, was going to be um, the successor. And he actually tells a story that Strang had gone to Nauvoo had had actually um, crept into Joseph III's bedroom at one point and ordained him a successor, which is not a true story. But anyway, um, it confused everybody, and most all the Strangites eventually end up joining the reorganization. Hmm. Yep. So I guess what we'll do is we'll um, and I, and I know folks were talking about these smaller groups, but you know not a lot of people know about them, and not a lot of people yeah. talk about them. So I like to kind of focus on some of the um, the curiosities and things that are and of course john and i love this part of it. <laughs> this is our wheelhouse <laughs> yeah um and so i want to talk about another group that is interesting because they emerge uh, so sydney reagan you know he's he's uh, he has to leave he's forced out so he goes yes. best back to uh pennsylvania and he attempts to actually um establish a church there and yes. talk briefly about that experiment that he that went awry yeah, so so Sidney Rigdon, like I said, he's got the best claim. 
Um, but at a certain point, he um, is outmaneuvered by Brigham Young. Once he's once he's fled the city, he announces that you know they need to reorganize the church and purify the church. And so he starts get, gathering essentially all of the people, everybody who's in opposition to Brigham Young. So this is before anybody even knows that Strang is running around or doing anything. So he's this is kind of the first um, major attempt at an organization outside Nauvoo. Uh, and so yeah, he's in Pittsburgh. He gathers a bunch of um, area, you know, locals and other people who are in opposition. Um, one of those, for example, includes um, a person in my family, so my great-great-great-great-grandparents, um, their, their eldest son, Benjamin Winchester, is the stake president of Philadelphia. It's probably the largest um, congregation in the East, and so he becomes one of Rigdon's apostles, uh, lots of other people like that. The William, William Law is, like, I think even in communication maybe with his Reformed Mormon church, but certainly some of the other, um, uh, Hinkle, George Hinkle's church, uh, Hinkle had been kicked out um, because he'd been scapegoated in the in the Missouri Mormon war. And so got kind of surprised when he got kicked out because he had no idea, he, Joseph Smith told him to surrender. <laughs> and, then, and then later when he did, um, Joseph Smith later told everybody that he, that he was a traitor and he'd done that and Joseph Smith hadn't wanted him to do that. And so it was very surprising to Hinkle that he kind of had gotten scapegoated and kicked out of the church for doing what he'd been told to do. So anyway, so he had his own church and he was maybe one of the people that was kind of wanting to link up with Sidney Rigdon. But one of the things that happens um, when you're trying to decide, okay, well, where did we go wrong? So what, we, we, we believe in this restoration, but at some point it clearly went off the rails. Um, and so, and so this group believes that things went off the rails and they're especially, they're also opponents of polygamy. So clearly when Joseph Smith started practicing polygamy, that was wrong. And so they peel back that onion, you know, and they start taking off the different things. And so at a certain point, um, you know, Sidney Rigdon, whose, um, whose original kind of feelings about all of this was that he was a primitivist, a Christian primitivist, right? And so at a certain point, he's like, well, really, we should never, you know, have changed the name of the church. You know, so initially, um, initially, his paper, they had gone back to the old name of the paper, instead of the Times and Seasons, it's going to be the Messenger and Advocate. And so it's called the Messenger and Advocate of the of the Church of the Latter-day Saints or something like that. But then he decided, well, changing the name is wrong. And so it becomes the Messenger and Advocate of the Church of Christ. So they go back to that. And so and they start peeling those kind of things back. And, um, and Sidney Rigdon ultimately decides he wants to go back and do that thing that was his goal right when Joseph Smith found him, which was, if you remember, that that communal farm thing where everybody gets together, they all share their property in common. They're going to live like the apostles in the book of Acts, where uh, there is no poor among them because everything, everyone has everything in common. Um, they try to go do that. It is yet again a fiasco. <laughs> so, um, and so uh, within a couple of years, um, Sidney Rigdon goes from having a pretty promising movement that has his own paper and everything like that to it totally atomizing and he's left essentially alone. So he's, he has no, he's pisses off every follower he has and they're all gone more or less. <laughs> yep. Yep. And he ends up moving in with his son and his son said, one stipulation is if you live here, you can't talk religion. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> so um, I want to just briefly talk about this book. Uh, folks, yeah. I interviewed the author um, of this book, Daniel Stone, uh, last summer. And I told him, I said, okay, it was nine o'clock at night and we both had our Red Bulls. And I said, I want you, if you talk for 15 straight minutes, fine. Because I said, I want you to tell us everything about William Bickerton 
the history of the early days of that church. This is a fantastic book. Um, the church was, he became prophet in 1860, or they organized in 1860, but Daniel makes a pretty compelling case. They were functionally a church in the 1850s. Um, yes. and because what happened was, just to give a summary, for a while, this group was aligned with Brigham Young until the time came that they announced the practice of polygamy. Right. And then this group separated themselves. So if you want to continue the history of the Church of Jesus Christ, my favorite, my favorite church, my favorite church in the whole world, period, not just in the Restoration, as far as I'm concerned. Yeah, yeah. Um, they're awesome people. And yeah. uh, so we, uh, we'll get back to, um, uh, well, now, basically, we have a situation where the saints now at this point, you know, they have Brigham Young as de facto, he's in charge. And you have uh, this idea now that they can't stay in Nauvoo and that they need to, uh, uh, they come to the conclusion they're going to have to leave. Yeah. Uh, let's just talk about this period of leaving Nauvoo, leaving the beautiful place. Yeah. Well, I think originally they didn't think they were going to have to leave. So, um, so I think that Brigham Young tried to consolidate power and he thought that he was going to be able to stay. Uh, so, for example, um, one of my other ancestors and another set of great, 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 great grandparents are um, in the Norwegian colony in Illinois, what's Norway, Illinois now. And, um, and uh, this is the first Norwegians that came directly across from Norway on their own boat to the U.S. And nearly all of them had get converted in Illinois to, uh, to Mormonism. And, um, and so because the missionary that converted them was a strong, strong Brighamite, at a certain point, Brigham Young and some of the 12 came to Norway, and they actually laid out a plat for like a new town for the Norwegian saints, and they included a temple lot for it. And so, so they, they, I think that there's indications initially that they think they're going to be able to stay. Um, uh, but there are, there, are, there are two major threats that make Brigham Young uh, have to leave. So um, the first one is the one that everybody's very aware of, it, which is the Illinoisans are not, um, are, are not content because, like I say, they, um, the, the saints here have not um, done any compromising. They did not, uh, if anything, Brigham Young now is accelerating the number of people he's authorizing to do polygamy. He's taking um, some of them, which is more secret practices and making it, throwing it open to more and more and more people. Um, they have not, um, they also have kind of, you know, not given up uh, their essentially autonomy in terms of uh, their interpretation of the Nauvoo Charter. So as a result of that, because of their pernicious abuse of the Nauvoo Charter, the state legislature revokes the charter. So now they don't have a charter. Um, that doesn't change anything because now um, Brigham Young decides he's going to rule entirely as a mob. So they're now going to simply have mafia rule as opposed to uh, legal rule. So nothing changes. There's just now no, there's now no legal pretext for it. Uh, and so now they're more or less in a state of open, open rebellion against uh, the legal authority of Illinois. So that's at that point, you, they can't stay, <laughs> you know. So at some point, they're going to have to leave. And so um, they essentially make the compromise that they'll leave by a certain date, and that, and then they're allowed to stay until that time uh, without, you know, without, be, while still being outlaws essentially together in in the state. Um, but the other. Um, threat is Strang's threat. Uh, and so that is actually um, way more deadly than uh, a lot of people credit now. So for example, in that town of Norway, um, what ends up happening is 
Strang comes to Norway, Illinois, and he um, has a debate on the succession. And so they get that Brighamite missionary to stand up. He's the guy, you know, you all converted to the gospel because of me, uh, you know, the 12 of the right, you know, Brigham Young's the man and so on. And Strang then makes all his claims. He has the debate with the guy. The, the guy loses so bad, he converts to Strang <laughs> and the entire colony um, goes over. Uh, and the only exception to that was my great, 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 great grandfather who was in Nauvoo at the time because he was getting his temple endowments. <laughs> he comes back and he comes back and, he, and and everyone's like, oh no, we're all Strangites now. And my grandfather's like, what are you talking about? <laughs> you know, well, there was a whole, there was a whole show. Didn't you see it? And he's like, no, can you say it again? It's like, it's like um, in the, in the Simpsons when, when Marge is off getting the bulldozer and they're going to kill the bordello and they had a big song and she comes back and she still wants to do it. They're all, they're all done. Anyway, <laughs> anyway. <laughs> Simpsons reference, but anyway, it's a kind of kind of thing like that. There is that. So then, there was the threat that um, that Strang is posing is also very real, you know. And so, uh, with those two threats, uh, Brigham Young decides to leave, and uh, and so he uh, and he leaves early. Um, and although he is uh, routinely gets a lot of credit for being a great colonizer or organizer and things like that, um, I think that what he's great at is is being scary and yelling at people and getting them to do stuff, you know, but, but they go way too early. And so they, and, and so, and so, as, and so the, um, you know, the spring rains make it all mud. They're strung out across Iowa way longer than it, you know, than it should have taken and so forth. It's, um, it's a mess. They don't get anywhere near how far they imagine they would go in that amount of time. There's horrible suffering. Um, that kind of a mass migration is, was almost, had almost never been done in that kind of a way. Um, so, so uh, it doesn't go very well, but they eventually eke their way across Iowa um, to uh, Council Bluffs, Omaha area. So, yeah, yeah it's quite a. It, it, you're absolutely right. I mean, there's definitely been some new works that come out showing that the the organ there was some some pretty major mistakes were made in the organizing of the uh, yeah. hand cards and all that kind of stuff. So, um, okay, so we're now uh, in the process of starting to head west. And yes. this is now we're going to start seeing the formation. We're going to see now what we would call the Utah Saints or Mountain Saints. We would eventually have what would, the starting of the idea of there being what we would eventually call the Prairie Saints, uh, people who would chose not to follow Brigham Young. So yep. let's talk about the people that stayed back, who, yep. didn't, who didn't head to Utah. Talk about maybe what's going on at, with the people who made the decision, including Emma Smith. Yeah. Well, so one of the key early leaders who um, makes that decision early on is uh, Lyman White. So Lyman White had been um, a more important leader than Brigham Young early on, and I don't think he thinks that there's any reason that he should be listening to Brigham Young. And so he uh, he would been the general in Zion's camp. He'd been the leader at Adam and um, and and so on. He had been the leader of a colony of the pineries where they uh, were getting all of the timber for Nauvoo, for the Nauvoo temple and so forth. So he takes all of his people, they, he transplants them all from the pinery colony, and he follows um, what he considers to be his commission that has been given to him in the, in the secret council of 50, the council of the king of the kingdom of heaven on earth, the, 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 the kingdom that had gotten reestablished secretly by Joseph Smith. Um, they have been secretly meeting, uh, sending ambassadors to uh, the realms of the world as they have the pretense of being a, a realm themselves. Um, the only people who actually accept them as such is the so-called Republic of Texas, which 
you know, is itself not a real thing, but is pretending to be a real thing. And so they um, make that, um, they make the uh, bargains with, uh, with the Texas government. Uh, and the plan maybe had been, one of Joseph Smith's plans, they maybe had been to relocate everybody and the Texas government was potentially gonna offer them the land that takes that exists in the, uh, between Mexico and uh, you know the Rio Grande and the next river up, which was what Mexico was recognizing. So in other words, Mormons could have their own republic uh, that would be a buffer state between Texas and Mexico. It'd be great for the Mexicans, I'm sorry, for the Texans. And they were prepared to maybe give them that land that they didn't actually own, you know? And so, um, and so, and so Lyman White takes his people down there and they establish some of the very first uh, settlements around uh, uh, Austin, an area and, and so on the Pedernales range, and they're quite successful. So they uh, make their own, um, you know, little uh, milling towns and so forth that, that uh, they establish. Um, he is a full-on, um, uh, let's say, Nauvoo-era uh, Mormon. So he's been on the Council of 50, you know, full temple endowment type of uh, guys and their polygamists and so forth. So they that's one of the people that stay West. Uh, I'm sorry, they don't stay Midwest, they stay, but not in the great Rocky Mountains, you know. So um, another another group that stays is um, uh, Alphaeus Cutler. So Alphaeus Cutler had also been on the Council of Fifty. He was one of the Masons for the um, uh, Nauvoo Temple. Um, he was one of the leaders of the Twelves uh, uh, camp across um, uh, across Iowa. Uh, and one of the leaders at um, at Winter Quarters, um, but he is opposed, presumably, to when Joseph, when Brigham Young reorganizes a uh, a first presidency and makes himself a uh, leader. In other words, he was prepared to say to say, "Well, we don't have a successor; we can follow the apostles," because he presumably thinks that Joseph III is the successor. Uh, but when Brigham Young makes it clear that no, Brigham Young is going to be the successor, he loses some people, and, and Alphaeus Cutler is one of those. Um, Bishop George Miller, who is another one of those leaders, is one of those. So the Cutlerites stay in uh, Iowa, the southwest Iowa area. They make a town called Manti. Uh, they decide that part of their goal is to evangelize Native Americans, which that's one of the original ideas that the, that the Mormons have had. And so they make a pretty successful colony there and, and stay there. Um, uh, uh, Emma Smith, there's no way she's <laughs> going to go with Brigham Young. Um, she uh, initially, um, Nauvoo is very dangerous. And so she initially tries to um, be able to rent her property and have the property, the mansion house and so on, be, be kept and she, while she's able to live in a more safe place with her family. Um, that doesn't work out because the, the person who's leasing it just starts stealing all her furniture. And so she's only able to make it back in time to kind of, she's got to hold on to it herself. So she ends up uh, staying in Nauvoo. Um, um, there are there are several other um, groups. So, for example, there have always continued to be a concentration of saints in Kirtland. And so um, William McClellan, who I mentioned, goes and um, decides that David Whitmer should be the successor because of that um, ordination that he'd had to be the successor. He more or less creates his own Whitmerite church in David Whitmer's name, but while well, he's based in Kirtland and being in charge of kind of a Kirtland church. <laughs> and the Whitmerites are kind of like, no, I don't think so. <laughs> you know, they're, you know, we're not sure we want McClellan doing that. Um, there's other, other leaders. Strang temporarily has control of Kirtland, you know, so, you know, there's a bunch of, um, the most successful certainly uh, of all of the groups 
in, that have stayed in the Midwest for a whole long time are Strangites. And so a lot of these groups are affiliated um, with Strang. So it might even be that, um, again, that, that ongoing church that continues to exist in Pittsburgh like you say, at some points they're affiliated with Brigham Young. At some points, maybe they were affiliated with Strang. Um, uh, it depends. You know, a lo all there are all these local groups, and they're their own group and they're a branch. And then if a missionary comes through and you buy the newspaper from Brigham Young's group, then you're maybe you're Brighamites. You know what I mean, and so forth. And it's only when the groups like when Brigham and James Strang come out and say, "Well, no, we really are being polygamous," then groups like. Bickerton's group say, well, well, we're not part of your organization. We have to make our own organization. And that also happens, for example, for um, the Hedrickites. So they've got their own five branches in the middle of Illinois. Uh, they are kind of nominally affiliated with the Strangite church probably for a while, although you know, they don't necessarily admit it now. But um, at a certain point, you know, when Strang is openly a polygamist, they're, they're not in favor of that. And then they're part of the branches that are all of these branches in Illinois and Wisconsin and so on that are considering, well, um, uh, maybe um, maybe we do need to wait for Joseph III to come forth and be the successor. And several of them have revelations that that's going to happen. Um, and they start meeting together uh, and they form what is called a new organization of the church. So they start organizing um, a, a new organization that has um, general conferences again, and some of the officers, apostles, and so on again. Um, and ultimately, the Hedrickites, for example, decide, no, we're not going to affiliate with you. And instead, they reorganize their own, and they decide that they have a revelation to take them back. We got to go back to the temple lot, which they do. <laughs> and they've been there ever since, <laughs> you know, and, uh, and so on. So there's a bunch of the different churches. There's so many of them, and there's really, really interesting every one of them. Yeah, very fascinating. And I always recommend get to independence missouri go and check out all the different groups that we just yeah. talked about and some ones uh, for the ones that are still extant uh are would be representative with with the exception of the church of jesus christ they don't have a presence in uh in independence um right. so uh let's talk a little bit now about some of the things that happen in the utah branch which is one once they get moved out there uh they then feel like they can now tell people openly that they practice polygamy. And so that's, that's like a big, that's like, okay, that's what, and we already see what that does to the ones that left and maybe yeah. they break off at that point. Um, and then, um, yeah, so just talk a little briefly about the implications of them finally making this, uh, this announcement, because not everybody believed that this was happening. Yeah. Um, well, so they, like I say, they made their way across uh, Iowa to Nebraska. They eventually make their way into the Great Basin. And initially, when they set off, I don't know that they necessarily thought that that was where they were going to stop. There was, um, you know, obviously at a certain point, they're potentially going to go to California, which a lot of people wanted to do. And at a certain point, there's, they got their eye on Vancouver Island. <laughs> and if they had ever got to make it there, um, you know, the, that would be its own crown colony, you know, to this day, you know what I mean? Because if, the, if that had been, if Vancouver Island had been an entirely Mormon settlement, once you got an island, you can kind of have your own kingdom. So it, it could, they could very, their goal was to get outside of the U.S., which the Great Basin was at the time they got there. Um, but exactly, but as they were getting there, then the other thing that happened was the U.S. went to war with Mexico in order to seize the Southwest from Mexico. And so once they kind of got settled, it all became U.S. territory at the same time. Um, and so 
um, their colony very much struggled. So it is a very, it was a, it was a crazily bold thing to go off and do because normally, um, normally settlement doesn't happen where you bring families, you know, and, uh, and, and just go all the way there. It's usually there's a frontier settlement happens much slower. Um, and so, and, and, and the same rapidness of settlement is actually taking place in California because of the gold rush that happens then. Um, but, um, but again, it's not families, right? It's just young guys who want to get gold, you know? And, and so, and so it was a, it was a really rough thing to do. Um, and, um, you know, there's the whole, uh, you know, cricket um, monument and the seagull monument and everything like that. Essentially, when you completely change an entire ecosystem really fast, you know, you take this thing that had not been, you know, mass cultivated by, uh, you know, settler techniques and crops, it affects everything. Suddenly, there's all these crickets, you know, and so on. And so, um, and then also, fortunately, it resulted in seagulls, you know, but the otherwise, uh, but, but there was a real possibility after several years of crop failure, that this thing wasn't going to work. And this is, again, one of the reasons why Strang was looking so good, you know, so at this point, the Strangite colony is actually doing great. Um, but uh, it does end up working out, and it especially works out because of the gold rush. So because so many people start crossing, the fact that they become a way station, um, they're able to more or less be saved uh, by this, uh, by being reintegrated into this American economy that they were trying to get away from. Um, in the meantime, they really had been trying to live, you know, a completely their own kind of uh, shadow government and their own um, uh, their own independent kind of thing. They have their own currency, secret councils, and everything like that. But um, but they get they end up making kind of some deals with the federal government, and Brigham Young gets to be governor for a while, and so on, and Indian agent, and so forth. And so they um, so at different times they're they're able to uh, to make that work. But as you say, then they um, decide they're going to admit that they having polygamy, you know, because it's an open secret. Uh, it's everybody's practicing it so much. Um, and that really upsets everybody uh, in the entire kind of Western world. So um, for the next 60 years, probably, um, uh, the name Mormon is, is such a pariah. It is, uh, it is the boogie is the boogeyman of the Victorian era. The very first Sherlock Holmes novel is an uh, anti-Mormon um, uh, document because Mormons are like, it's like, I don't know, um, Mormons are like, I don't know, vampires or <laughs> gypsies or something, you know, in other words, they're, they're, they're like the Turk, the Ottoman Turk, you know, they're representing everything that is opposed to, uh, you know, Anglo-American Victorian values and so forth. Um, and so, uh, and that, that puts a kibosh on missionary work that they'd had going on in Europe that had, that had been bringing people around. It, it, uh, it, breaks all of the Eastern and Midwestern branches off from them and so on. And so they have to kind of have their own kind of retrenchment that they do. Yeah. And speaking of retrenchment, we also have, I believe this is during this period and correct me if I'm wrong, but we have what was called the Mormon Reformation. Yeah. And we're um, maybe talk a little bit about that. Yeah. So, um, so the, the, what I would say is like Mormons to this today are so fixated on, um, on the early history and they're thinking about like the they'll think of the persecution in, in Missouri and Hans Mill massacre and 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 the martyrdom of Joseph Smith and so forth but I think that the really traumatic time that has happened and that has affected the Mormon psyche but is sort of forgotten uh and, and but the trauma is still there is actually this this time period in Utah 
So this is the time period when the whole world was anti-Mormon. And this is the time period when ultimately the whole weight of the federal government was trying to break the Mormon church and get it to stop. Uh, it's, you know, it's kind of rebellious theocracy uh, and it's practice of polygamy. Um, and, and then this is also simultaneously um, when you're under that kind of same external pressure, this is the time period when, uh, when the internal pressure is also churned up. So you're, if you're not with Brigham Young, if you're not totally uh, you know, you know, obedient to this totalitarian state, uh, then, you, then you are, you're against it and you could be massacred yourself. Uh, and so dissenters were not tolerated. There's a, um, a, a dissenting church called the Morisites. Uh, uh, that exists in the in the where there's a new prophet uh, Morris and they go to Weep Heber. Where do they go? Weber. Anyway, they go to. Uh, I'm not as I'm not as familiar with the the whole Utah stuff as I am with the Midwestern stuff. Anyway, they get massacred by the the Mormon militia, uh, and they have to eventually some of, fragments of them survive and get away and so on. Um, every every old RLDS family. Uh, has an, an ancestral story or memory of how they had to um, they had to creep away at night from Utah and make their way back across the plains to Omaha, uh, and they had to do it by hiding their tracks and do, and leaving at night because Brigham Young's destroying angels were going to kill them and so forth. Um, now we don't have that documented. That's but that's the that's the the memory that everybody has. So everybody's own folk family folk story is like that. Um, and when and when uh, Mark Shearer, who's the um, most recent church historian, was he was talking to me about that story um, uh, and, and saying how, well, they're not really documented and we don't really have, you know, we can't necessarily say that that was actually happening. His wife said that happened to my family, <laughs> you know, in other words, you know, so so it is it is very widespread. So um, uh, anyway, so any, but that it, it was emblematic of of Reformation era Utah, which is a which is. Uh, it would have been a very traumatic place, um, I think, and and, uh, and also incredibly poor initially, you know, so they're really scraping by in a, a very um, hard to settle place. I mean, considering if you imagine these Midwestern farmers leaving Iowa, where they'd just been, you know, you know, in order to go live in, you know, the desert of Utah, uh, you know, in order to, to farm there, it, it was a rough, a rough, some rough times, but ultimately, once they're settled, um, that's been the, the genius of, um, of why uh, it now it seems like when from the LDS perspective, from the Utah perspective, they're the only thing in town, they're the only show because, because once you actually have a, a place like that, then you, then all of the people, whether they leave the church or not, they're culturally part of it, and they all reconvert at a certain point. So at a certain point, it's mostly a, a giant colony of ethnically Jack Mormon people who are not necessarily loyalists to the church. But at a certain point in the middle of the 20th century, then they are all become the church, and that church is so much more. You know, all the descendants of of people who were Strangites are all the descendants of people who were. RLDS even in 1940, they're not RLDS now, you know, it's just a tiny fraction. And so for everybody else, um, that only a fraction has been maintained, but for um, the Mormon church, um, it's just simply grown, right? And so as a result of that, um, it looks like in retrospect that there was always way more of them than everybody else, but it would have been much more, much more balanced uh, for the first lot, long lot while, so. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, so uh, there's another thing actually just kind of interesting. So in, I believe it was in England, uh, the uh, Book of Abraham was published. Now it wasn't canonized, 
but I think that we this is uh, not yet, but this is instructive because this is one more element that would later cause there to be a further rift with the other branches, which is this idea that they have this scripture called the Book of Abraham that was, I think it was in the 1850s that they, it was printed. Um, well, so, so the Book of Abraham had been printed in the Times and Seasons. Okay, yes. Well, so, um, oh, yeah. so what happens is that they make it as a, they include it as with a bunch of other oh, great price. things yeah. and they make a pamphlet and they call that pamphlet the Pearl of Great Price. That is taken from a, um, a a parable of Jesus that's found in Matthew, and so and so that by giving that a great name, and it, they took together a thing, made a popular pamphlet where they took um, components of uh, what we call the inspired version of the Bible, the Joseph Smith translation. So the Joseph Smith, Moses, Joseph Smith, Matthew, and then they took a part of Joseph Smith history uh, book, and they took the Book of Abraham. And then they took the articles of faith or what we call the epitomes of faith. They match that together and they make a pamphlet that's very popular. And then later that pamphlet gets in the 1870s or sometime gets um, canonized as a new part of the scripture in the LDS church. Um, but for many people that we, uh, we have the book of Abraham because it's in the times and seasons. And so um, for the Strangites, for example, although that would not be part of their, uh, of their scripture, uh, because the scripture that they have are, you know, the Bible, the Book of Mormon, uh, the uh, the Doctrine and Covenants, and the Book of the Law of the Lord. But they, but the Strangites actually revere um, or account as law anything that was published by the Church in the lifetime of the prophets, and so that includes, um, uh, you know, essentially the the, you know, the the evening and the morning star, the elders journal, the messenger and advocate, the times and seasons, the Forey herald, the gospel herald, uh, the Zion's revelry, the Northern Islander, and, and so on. So in other words, those church publications of both the early church and the Strangite church up until when Strang died, all of that is their source of, of law. And so because they don't have a new prophet, they don't have new revelation for doing things. So instead, though, they can tell every single thing that is about how they should run the church, it's written in one of, they can find something for it in one of these papers. So they have the book of Abraham in a sense, because mm -hmm. it's in the times and seasons. And so, uh, and so they can read, um, read, I don't know if the whole thing is, but anyway, I think maybe the whole thing is, <laughs> anyway, parts of it are in the times and seasons for sure. Um, and so it was, it was known as well in the, in the reorganization, um, but Joseph Smith III didn't really like it. So some of the people in the, some of the old saints were like, well, this is an important book. And they're having the, they're, there's like, we have minutes of a, maybe a joint council meeting, which is what we call like the first presidency and the 12 and, and the presiding bishopric. And people are, are kind of saying, well, we should, we should publish this again, you know, because it's an important book. And uh, Joseph III is like, well, we got other things to do. Let's table that this meeting. And then the next year, the guy says, wait, we should do this. He says, well, let's table that this meeting. And then the next year, the guy's dead, right? So anyway, so, so, so Joseph III as being the youngest, you know, I mean, of the early saints, he's born in Kirtland, um, you know, when all of the old saints, you know, that are, are, are like that and cantankerous, he's able to wait them out, you know? And so he doesn't have to put in the things that he doesn't like. <laughs> mm -hmm. Yeah. Very interesting. Yeah, no, thank you. You know, I'm really learning a lot in, on today's episode. I'm just, uh, this is really fantastic. I just love, love having these conversations with you. Um, so let's see here. We're, and now I think what we need to start talking about is the formation of what we would um, call uh, the RLDS. So basically you, like you had alluded to earlier, you had mentioned that there were people who were coming to the conclusion that Joseph Smith III was probably the rightful heir, 
And so people started organizing under the principle that perhaps he would be their future prophet in hopes that, this would, that he would uh, accept the mantle. Um, so maybe talk a little bit about the formation of these groups and then how they start coalescing and then ultimately how they do finally um, get their profit. Yeah, well, I would say that there's probably, I, I think there's pretty general agreement um, that there had been, and it happened enough times uh, that, uh, that Joseph Smith had prophesied that his son would be a prophet in the future, you know, when it, you know, it didn't necessarily mean his immediate successor, but one day he'd be prophet, right? And so that had happened in several special blessings, including the very last thing that Joseph Smith did before riding off to Carthage, you know, he gave another blessing to his son. And so, um, uh, and so, for example, um, I mentioned that, you know, Lyman White is this leader of this group in Texas. Um, um, one of the reasons why he doesn't want to follow Brigham Young is because he he believes very firmly that the successor is going to be Joseph the third. And so he's leading a, a kind of a set of churches, but he never claims to be the head of the church right. Uh, and the same thing Alphaeus Cutler uh, has a similar position. Um, uh, James Strang even has has indicated that um, that one day Joseph III, you know, will probably be in the you know will probably be in the Strangite Church and his successor, Brigham Young, um, um, had made several indications like that too. So at the time, you know, when he like I said, he didn't initially claim to be a successor. It's just the twelve that are leading, and and every and he said sort of like everybody knows who is the successor. But if we say it out loud or we do it right now, that boy is going to get killed, right? So and so that's where they're at at Nauvoo. In other words, that's kind of what Cutler and and some of these other people who are following the twelve until that reorganization of Brigham Young's first presidency believe. And even later, um, you know, Brigham Young is saying things. Well, if he come when he comes out and he he'll, he'll have his place. And so um, there had been, much, much, been plenty of missionaries who went from all the different churches to go to visit Joseph the Third. If you if you join up with us if you legitimize us um you know you're gonna he's gonna have a place he'll essentially be the successor to whoever is leading right now um and so that was sort of where everything was at um, but what ends up happening by the at, through the course of the 1850s um you know there's two two things that happen on the one hand um most of the church organizations um, come out as polygamists, so the leading church organizations, so Brigham Young, um, James Strang, and so forth. As a result of that, um, a lot of the branches, uh, like the Hedrickites, like the Bickertonites, like the Josephites, um, all kind of throw off their allegiance to any of these groups. In some cases, they reorganize at a local level. In some cases, they try to build, like I say, a new church organization by bringing branches together and trying to work towards a time when Joseph III is, this prophecy that Joseph III is, will come true, right? And so, um, and so one of those groups um, uh, is, is kind of a, a formed between um, a group that's in Amboy, Illinois, which had actually been the headquarters of William Smith's church, but they'd caught William Smith practicing polygamy <laughs> and they kicked him out of the church. He'd actually had to flee the state because he was going to be charged with statutory rape for uh, secretly practicing you know, polygamy with, with an underage follower and so forth. Um, and so as a result of that, his kind of this Williamite church without William and also very against polygamy at this point um, uh, allies with two former two former Strangite branches, the Zarahemla branch in uh, Wisconsin and another one in Eastern Wisconsin. Um, some of the leaders, Jason Briggs, for example, who had been appointed an apostle by William Smith, 
um, has a revelation again that everybody should just wait and you know that God is going to reorganize the church. Joseph III is going to come forward, the seat of Joseph and so forth. And so what ends up happening in the course of the 1850s is all of the other leaders, except Brigham Young, um, end up dying or getting really old and so forth. So Lyman White uh, gets really old by 1856. He's uh, di died. Um, uh, James Strang is martyred by in but 18, I think it's 1856, uh, Charles Thompson, who has his own colony called Preparation Iowa, where they've been, he's gotten everybody to live in common and everything like that. Um, he's defrauded everybody out of their property and all the people have left him and sued him and that, you know, so, so he's gone. Alphaeus Cutler is in horribly ill health. By this time, he's potentially, he's probably, um, you know, a lanolin uh, uh, addict uh, and so forth. He can't, he's, he's immobile. He can't leave his bedroom and so forth. Uh, Zadok Brooks, who is, had a, a, a church in Kirtland, his church is dissolved by 1859. So really in this lead up to 1860, it's all gone except for the Brighamite church. Uh, and, so, um, and so when this conference is held, um, oh, so what ends up happening is um, William Marks, who had been with almost every one of those churches except Brigham Young's church. <laughs> um, uh, you know, when he, when he continues to correspond um, with Emma and with Joseph III, he says, look, there's this new organization that's happening and I've been meeting with them and these are, this, these are good folks. And, and I am for the first time in all of this wandering that I've done, I'm sensing that, that old Latter-day Saintism that we felt when we dedicated the Kirtland Temple and we uh, and the and the heavens the, the veil was open to us and we sang the Spirit of God and shot Hosanna together, and um, and these are good people and you should take give them a looks you know and so with that recommendation, um, Joseph the Third started to uh, you know anyway meet with these representatives, uh, uh, Midwestern this new organization, um, and to get and they came together uh, um, and. And kind of had essentially a, he'd made the statement several times. He's not going to just um, say he's a prophet because everybody wants him to. He needs to, uh, he needs to discern, pray about it, and feel that he has that sense of divine calling that he could speak with that kind of an authority. And uh, and by April sixth, then eighteen sixty, he announced that he has had that uh, that spiritual experience. And so, um, and so he makes a, uh, they get together and have a new conference. Uh, and that's where we're going to, we'll start off, I guess, or I guess we're supposed to just get to that point, right? So today, April 6, yeah. 1860. Yeah, and and so, actually, yeah. So Emma and he go then to Amboy, they have that, they have that conference. He says, I come here by a power, not my own. Um, he says, there's, uh, I, um, there's just one, there's just one principle that's associated with this people that I abhor and I will never, <laughs> Uh, um, subscribe to, and that is the one that is, you know, practiced out in Utah. And so, and so he, he has a manifesto that where that, uh, that this church that he is going to regather together in the Midwest is of the, the anti-polygamy faction of the Latter-day Saint Church. And thus is the birth of the RLDS. Now, this is the thing. Um, in Christopher Smith, I just remembered Christopher Smith, he told me, uh, there was this series of books that was written about the history of your church. I think there was three volumes. Yes. Okay. Um, he, he, Christopher read for me the scene when he first, the, nobody knows that Joseph Smith III is there. Yeah. He's sitting in the back with his mother. Yeah. And it's this beautiful scene. And Christopher read it to me, how there's this moment 
when everybody realizes that their prophet is in the room. Yeah. And it's a powerful moment. People start weeping. It's a, it's, and just think of the, the, the trauma these people have been going through. And there's Emma and there's Joseph Smith III in the back of the church yeah. and they didn't know it. Yep. Yeah. Well, and it's amazing for everybody too, because the Smith boys look a lot like their father. Um, but the advantage that the reorganization has is that they, uh, that they have a lot of this good sense of their mother. <laughs> so, and so, and so from the uh, very energetic and innovative, but erratic and self-destructive um, first 14 years uh, of the reign of the first monarch, the second monarch, the second Smith monarch, Joseph III, who reigns for 50 years, more than 50 years, is, is so, um, his biographer uh, calls him a pragmatic prophet. Um, and, and so he, is, he has a, a much more difficult task, frankly, than his, his father had had, which is now he's got to take all of these ex-Brighamites, all of these ex-Strangites, all these ex-Cutlerites, all these ex-Whiteites, all, you know, all these ex-Thompsonites, all, all these ex-Williamites, and he's got to bring them all together. And they all have had different experiences. Uh, and so his, um, his very brilliant vision is, let's all, let's, let's forget all this stuff that you guys have been doing under Strang and so on, and, and even frankly, what had happened in Nauvoo. And let's go back to that, that moment in Kirtland when we, when we sang the spirit of God together, you know? And, and so that becomes kind of the, the operating vision for uh, the reorganization. And, and it's so comforting to so many people um, that, that it go from the new organization goes from just being a few hundred people to, um, you know, being pretty substantial. So by the time, um, um, by the time uh, we get to the 50th anniversary of the reorganization, um, there's, this is not a huge number, but okay, there's 60, there's 61,000 members, and the LDS church at that point has 398,000 members, and so, and so whereas um, there's still a big difference there, there, that's, that's not as out of control, you know, you know, in terms of proportion size, and that's up from, again, 300 people uh, just 50 years earlier, so, so. Yeah, yeah. Uh there's the there Smith book. I actually had Roger Lonius on as a guest. Uh, check that yeah. interview out. Um, An excellent book. That's absolutely worth the read. It is. It's really good. And then, of course, here's a good biography. Actually, I haven't read this. I just bought this, so I'm excited to get my hands on this one, too. This yeah. is another one that is highly regarded. And, of course, I talked about the William Bickerton one. Now, folks, I don't know about this book. If uh, I'll look, I'll, if I can find a link for it, I'll post a link for this book about uh, James Strang as well. And, of course, uh, you had mentioned to me off camera that there is a biography of James Strang that you would recommend by so it's Vicky speaks. It's, it's not a biography. It's a it's a um, overview of kind of the, the early Strangite church. Oh, okay, great. And it's called God has made us a kingdom. James Strang and the Great Lake Morrowinds. It talks a lot about Strang because he's central to that. But he also talks to, for example, a lot of kind of bi mini bios of Strang's wives. There are um, um, a, just a general kind of history of the of the early Strangite Church, and so that's it's a really great book. Um, the The problem with Strang biographies is that um, so Strang has two two lives, and actually the his more the more um, the bigger life is actually as as a, a curio of Michigan history. <laughs> And so, and so um, he's not as well known in Mormon history. Most Mormons are actually not particularly aware of, of Strangites. They're more aware of it now but, than they would have been 
50 years ago or something like that, that it was, was not even known or mentioned almost. Um, and, and so almost all of the historiography was done by Michigan historians. And so, uh, and I'm not remembering the name of this guy, but there was a guy who in the, in the 20s uh, or 30s pretty much did the one good work on, on James Strang and the, and the Mormons. He's got a pretty good biography, but it's very dated. It's like a century old now, so it's not like up to date. Um, and then subsequently what happens is more or less Michigan um, journalists uh, more or less take that same biography, they, they heat it over and republish it. And that just happens continuously. The, it, there's so much archival material for the Strangites. You could do this, you could do amazing work um, but that just has to be, that's still a, a really top-notch biography still needs to come out. More or less, you just get a journalist rewriting a salacious stuff and it's, um, and, and it sells books and, and, and that's, but it's not, it's not what we need. So. Yeah. Yeah. I agree. I, uh, I just want to thank you so much for taking us on this journey. Um, this has been great. I know my audience has been giving me good, uh, good feedback on it. Um, now, what I'm going to do is in the, probably sometime later this spring or in the summer, I'm going to have you back on and we're going to talk about the history of the RLDS community of Christ. I'm very much looking forward to it because I actually, I'm going to learn a lot because mm -hmm. I, my knowledge is basically Joseph Smith III and yeah. maybe the last 20, 30 years, some of the developments have happened in the church. So there's this huge blind spot that I have. So I'm very much looking forward to filling that in. And you actually helped fill in a lot of stuff for me today. I really learned a lot in this one. And this was really great. Uh, John, thanks again for coming on to the program. I am so happy to do it. This is always great, uh, Steve. I mean, our our conversations are so much fun and they're so open. And anyway, and I, I anyway, I love your channel and all of the conversations you're doing. I'm so happy you've crossed some great thresholds lately. And I, I started watching your Mormon Stories interview. It's amazing. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you. I think John Delint oversells me a little bit. Uh, like he's like up there with the greats. And I'm like, whoa, come on. <laughs> uh, but but it was fun uh, taping Mormon Stories. Of course, uh, that's one of the places I found you was Gospel Tangents and Mormon Stories. And you've been a great contributor to the conversation of the restoration. Uh, people are still really starting to know the full picture. And I hope that these uh, segments that we've been doing is going to help add to that, adding to the picture, adding to filling out the history that there's so many blind spots that there are out there and let's fill them in. And so people have, like I tell people, you, have, you it is your birthright as a restorationist, as a Latter-day Saint, to know the full history of your movement. So John, do you have any final words you'd like to share? That's it. Awesome. <laughs> so well, I just want to remind my audience to like and subscribe. Don't forget to hit the notification button to be informed when a new episode comes out. Uh, we are now on the podcast, so Apple, Spotify, Google, and we're going to be expanding to other places as well. Uh, if you need to reach me, mormonbookreviews at gmail.com. Again, I want to thank my audience. You're awesome. I have reached many thresholds. We're monetized now, so now watch those ads because I get paid for them <laughs> now. So y'all have yourself a great day.